Chapter 16 of Wired Love by Ella Chivathea. Okay. Leaving Clem on their arrival at the hotel to bear the burden of the green stuff they had brought from the woods, Sin, with a trace of melancholy on her sunny face, followed Natty to her room, for Sin's joyous picnic, with its gay beginning, had ended sadly enough for her. I want to ask you something, Sin said, with frank directness as she carefully closed the door behind them. And that is, are you? Can you be foolish enough to imagine that Clem and I are in love with each other? The small basket Natty held in her hand fell to the floor at this unexpected question. Had Sin drawn forth a bowie knife and playfully clipped off her nose, she could not have been more astounded. If you can possibly reduce your eyes to their ordinary size and give me a candid yes or no, I will be obliged, Sin said rather petulantly, after waiting in vain for an answer. The events of the day had sorely tried her usually even temper. A little tremulously, while a burning flush covered her face, Natty answered her. I... I have heard it intimated. You've heard it intimated? That means yes to my question, said Sin. Then, sinking despairingly on the lounge, she added, Here is a crisis of which I never dreamed. Not understanding very well, and moreover much agitated by the subject, Natty knew not what to say. This is awful, went on Sin, savagely beating the pillow with her fist. What contrary things love affairs are! Fearful of having in some way betrayed her secret, the only conclusion she could draw from Sin's extraordinary outburst, Natty stood looking guiltily at the floor a few moments, then recovering herself, she went to Sin and said in a voice full of emotion, I do not just comprehend your meaning, dear, but it may be you think I might not quite like the idea, on account of that, that first affair on the wire. If so, dismiss the thought, you and Clem are suited to each other, and Natty stopped, unable to continue. Sin, who had been beating the innocent pillow, as if it was the cause of all this, while Natty was speaking, now threw it across the room as she exclaimed, Oh, the perversity of human nature! Oh, you degenerate girl! As if I cared for Clem in that way! Have I not from the first set my heart on this real-life romance ending in the only way it could rightfully end? A sudden light came into Natty's face, but it died away in a moment. Then you do not care for him. Poor Clem, she said in a low voice. Poor Clem, indeed, cried Sin, pacing the floor excitedly. I cannot, no, I cannot believe it of him. He certainly has sagacity enough not to run his head against a beam in broad daylight, even if Joe had not. She was about. If Joe had not, she was about to add, but checked herself suddenly. Not for the world would she betray Joe's confidence. What had passed between them today should be a secret always, never again to be mentioned, but never forgotten in the friendship and companionship of after years. You must be very difficult to suit, dear, if you do not like Clem, said Natty with unconscious significance, after waiting in vain for Sin to finish her sentence. It is not that replied Sin somewhat sadly. Do you not know? I have only one love. Music. Poor Clem, again said Natty, from the depths of her tender heart. For oh, I know he loves you, dear. Couldn't help it. Who could? Such words would have been sweet to the vanity of an ordinary woman. But on Sin they had a very opposite effect. Things have come to a pretty pass if one cannot laugh and joke and enjoy oneself with friends without being made love to she said, annoyed. Then, looking scrutinizingly at Natty, she asked, And you, did you really wish Clem and I might love each other? Natty played nervously with the fringe of her dress, 
hesitated, then replied in a low tone, I fear I did not sin. Then it may come right yet, exclaimed Sin, hopefully. Natty shook her head. And he loving you, oh no, she said. I shall never be able to say okay to what you term your romance of the dots and dashes, Sin. In fact, I have made up my mind that there are some people born to go through life missing both its best and its worst, and that I am one. Pray do not say that, urged Sin, too disturbed to bring her easy philosophy to bear on the situation. Of all things, do not get morbid. But it is the truth, persisted Natty. Even my name, for instance, proves it. I was christened Natalie, a very fine poetic name, but in all my life no one ever called me by it. I was always mediocre, Natty. And I have curtailed you down to Nat, said Sin with whimsical remorse. But what a tangle we are in! First it was the man of musk and bear's grease who came between you. Then, when he was explained away, came blundering I. Why did you not lock me out of sight somewhere? I would have done it myself had I known. Ironically, what an extremely fascinating and dangerous person I was. At this, Natty could not help smiling. It was not your fault. It was fate, she said, her smile becoming a sigh. That sin echoed, for she thought of Joe, but yet unconvinced, she said, Fate? No, it cannot be. I think better of Clem than to believe he, too, has made a mistake like Quimby and fallen in love with the wrong woman. Then starting up, she exclaimed tragically, Who, ah, who shall cut the Gordian knot and bring about a crisis that shall cause this wired love to terminate in O.K.? As if invoked by Sin's words, there came a sneeze from outside, and Miss Kling pushed open the door unceremoniously. I wish to have some conversation with you, Miss Rogers, she said in a tone of severity. Some other time, if you please, Natty replied, impatiently, for her talk with Sin had unnerved her. Just now I am engaged. Miss Kling drew herself up and said with even more austerity, There is no time like the present, and since Miss Archer is here, it may not be amiss for her to hear what I have to say. Natty frowned, but Sin, not unwilling to be diverted even by Miss Kling from the topic that was so annoying her, said, Very well, we are listening, Miss Kling. Miss Rogers, proceeded Miss Kling solemnly, after a preparatory sneeze, I knew all. The emphasis on the last word was truly tremendous, and Natty started astonished, while Sin looked up with awakened curiosity. May I inquire what you mean by all? inquired Natty stiffly. Yes, replied, repeated Miss Kling, without heeding the question. I know all. I have sometimes suspected that something underhanded was going on. Now I know what it is that has been so carefully concealed from me. I have long objected to your associates, Miss Rogers, but... Pardon me, but that certainly does not concern you, interrupted Sin disdainfully. Miss Kling looked at her and sneezed a sinister sneeze. It concerns me to know what kind of people I have in my house, she replied. And since you force me to speak out, Miss Archer, I will say that in my opinion no truly modest and proper girl would become intimate with those who pad their legs and paint their faces and show themselves to the public. This insinuation struck Sin so comically that she could hardly suppress a laugh. My suspicions, to return to what I was about to say, Miss Rogers, were first awakened by hitting that, that instrument. Sin and Natty exchanged looks of intelligence. You have a going when I knew you were not in the room, and now, as I said, I know all. I pass over the audacity of such proceedings in my premises, but the utter immorality is too much for me to bear. Yes, I found a wire, and I know it leads into the room of two young men. 
that any young woman should so immodest as to establish telegraphic communication between her bedroom and the bedroom of two young men is beyond my comprehension. Sin felt a mischievous desire to inquire how it would have struck her had it been the bedroom of one young man. Natty, who had flushed crimson at the first knowledge of Miss Kling's discovery, now drew herself up and replied with dignity, Really, Miss Kling, I think this extravagance of language utterly uncalled for. I admit it was not exactly correct for me to allow the wire to be one without consulting you, but beyond that there was nothing reprehensible in my conduct. Miss Kling held her hands up in horror. Nothing reprehensible in being connected by a telegraph wire with two young men, she exclaimed. Nothing. Excuse my intrusion, but Sin, will you please inform me if I am to stand all night loaded with green stuff like a farmer on a market day? At this point the merry voice of Clem interrupted as he came hastily in, still bearing the burden Sin had piled upon him. Then, becoming aware of Miss Kling's presence, he added to her, I beg pardon for my abrupt entrance, but the outer door being open I made bold to enter. Then explanatory to Sin, your door was locked, as also was mine, of which Quimby has the key, and as Celeste has not yet been able to part with him, there I have been standing in the hall, like patience with a load of dandelions. We were having such an interesting conversation, Sin answered, with a scornful glance in Miss Kling's direction, that I quite forgot you, and the lapse of time. Clem instantly became aware of something amiss in the atmosphere, and glanced around inquiringly. Miss Kling immediately enlightened him. There are many things you make bold to do, young man, she said, putting telegraph apparatus in my house, for instance. Ah, exclaimed Clem, comprehensively. Yes, went on the aggrieved Miss Kling. You and that Quimby, I suppose, did it. The idea originated with you, of course. He hasn't brains enough. If he had, he would not marry Celeste. And Miss Kling sniffed in utter contempt of poor Quimby. Thanks for the compliment to my intellectual abilities, said Clem, with a mischievous look. Then, advancing towards her, he answered in his own frank, manly ways. And so you have found us out. But I trust you will not be offended with us. It is, after all, a trifle. And we said nothing about it, merely because we wished to have a little mystery of our own. It was, as the newsboys would say, a lark of ours. Lark, repeated Miss Kling, drawing herself up stiffly. Young man, you will oblige me by not using slang in my presence. Pardon me, said Clem good-humouredly, and in regard to the wire, blame me, if you must blame anyone. As you say, it was all my doing, and I induced Miss Rogers to allow the wire to come into her room. And I, too, added Sin propitiatingly for Natty's sake, I wished to learn the business, you know. But Miss Kling would not propitiate. Miss Rogers, I have no doubt, was very ready to be induced, she said with an effort at sarcasm. I have heard of young females so much in love that they would run after and pursue young men, but never before of one so carried away and so lost to every sense of decorum as to be obliged to have a wire run from her room to his in order to communicate with him at improper times. This accusation, far-fetched and ridiculous as it was, yet being uttered in the presence of Clem, overwhelmed poor Natty, and she sank on the lounge, burying her face in her hands, at which Clem made a hasty motion, and then, as if aware any interference of his would only make matters worse, checked himself, but Sin came to the front with striking effort. You ought, certainly, to be well informed on the subject of old females who run after old men, she said witheringly. 
if one may believe that the tore what Mr. Fishblade says. This shot told. Miss Kling turned livid with rage and mortification and burst into a terrific spasm of sneezing. Miss Rogers, she said wrathfully, as soon as she recovered sufficiently to speak, your conduct and that of your associates is such that I can no longer allow you to remain on my premises. Miss Kling, this is, is very unjust, said the agitated Natty. It is against the wishes of her friends that she has remained as long as she has, cried Sin hotly. Miss Kling, your proceedings are infamous, exclaimed Clem, not able to contain himself longer. Rather afraid to draw out Sin any more, Miss Kling gladly seized this opportunity to attack Clem. Young man, what right have you to interfere? she inquired majestically. Clem bit his lip. Sure enough, what right had he? He glanced at Natty where she sat, pale and disturbed, at the scene that threatened to end seriously for her, and then, obeying a sudden impulse, seized the key at his side and called, N, N, N. Natty looked up quickly, and while Miss Kling, who supposed he was wantonly drumming on the obnoxious instrument to exasperate her, vented her indignation, and also the outraged feelings caused by the torpedo wound inflicted by Sin, still rankling in a wrathful homily to which no one listened, for Sin was watching Clem curiously. He wrote rapidly, his eyes on the sounder. She says I have no right to interfere. If you had not so changed towards me, if I could hope you loved me as I have ever loved you, I would ask you to give me the right, and let me put this pernicious discredit to her sex on the other side of that door. As these words and dots and dashes came to her ears, Natty, forgetting Miss Kling, forgetting everything, except that she loved Clem, and Clem declared, could it be possible, that he loved her, arose hastily, with a quick joy suffusing her face, and then their eyes met, and neither words or dots and dashes were needed. Love, more potent than electricity, required no interpreter, and that most powerful of all magnets drew them together. Before the face and eyes of the amazed Miss Kling, who had just delivered herself of a sentence intended to be crushing, and could not conceive why her victim should suddenly look so happy over it, he advanced to Natty's side, clasped her hand eagerly and tenderly, then turning to Miss Kling said, while Sin, surmising the truth of the matter, embraced herself fervently. Miss Kling, any farther observations you may have to make, you will be good enough to say to me hereafter, and now will you oblige me by leaving the room? And he politely held open the door. What? gasped Miss Kling, hardly believing her own ears. I cannot allow you to annoy Miss Rogers, the lady who is to be my wife, Clem added, and if she and I choose to have twelve telegraph wires, we will. Let me bid you good evening and he pointed significantly at the open door. "'Your wife? Miss Rogers?' echoed the discomfited Miss Kling, and glanced at the blushing Natty, at Sin and disguisedly exultant, and at Clem, determinedly waiting for her to go out. This was something she had not expected, and it took her aback. So with a sneeze, she drew herself up, gave a spiteful parting shot. "'Well, she's worked hard enough to get you, had to bring the telegraph to her assistance,' and then retreated before Sin could retaliate with a torpedo, retreated to her own room, to nurse her wrath and envy, and to dream hopelessly forevermore of that other self, never to come nearer than now.
with discreet sin, comprehending that Miss Kling had brought about that crisis, and that something had been said on the wire to the right purpose, followed her out, and left them alone. It is hardly necessary to mention that as soon as the door closed behind sin, Clem took Natty in his arms and kissed her. It was an inevitable consequence. And now explain why you have treated me so, you contrary little girl, he queried tenderly. I thought, Natty replied, raising her grey eyes from which the shadows were all gone now to his, that you loved sin. You did, he said, surprised and reproachful, and that is why you have been so cold and distant. How could you? But sin is so handsome, and I do not see how you could help it, pleaded Natty in self-extenuation. Of course she is handsome, talented, brilliant, fascinating, everything that is nice, Clem answered. But, in a low voice, Sin was not my little girl at B.M. Of course, after this, there was another inevitable consequence, and then Clem asked, And did you care because you imagined, you naughty, jealous girl, that I loved Sin? Yes, Natty answered, blushing, but honestly. I was very unhappy. Indeed I was, Clem. I think I loved you from the first, when you were invisible, you know. And I, said Clem, should have given myself up a victim to despair, like Quimby, if it had not been for one thing. Joe made me a duplicate of that picture you destroyed, and the fact that you never even mentioned the Cupid overhead gave me hope. And his own roguish look was in his eyes as he saw Natty's confusion, and laughing his merry laugh, he clasped her in his arms. I beg pardon, said Sin, tapping, and entering after a cautious interval. But I come to inquire if Nat, I mean Natalie, still thinks, as she did an hour ago, that Clem and I are just suited to each other. Natty laughed and blushed. You see, I set my heart on this from the beginning, said Sin to Clem, not thinking it necessary to define to what this referred. It was such a perfect romance, you know. And she has been frightening me by declaring that you were in love with me, and was so positive that she almost made me believe it, notwithstanding my natural sagacity. As I certainly should have been, replied Clem gallantly, only for a prior attachment. You see, I loved Natty before ever I saw you. Why, I used to pass the most of my time when at XN in wondering what she was like, and wishing I was as near her as I am now, for instance, and how miserable I was when she dropped me so suddenly, and how happy I was when I came upon her at that blessed feast, and the red hair was all explained away. And then came another cross on the circuit of my true love. And had it not been for that dear Betsy Kling, with her invectives, we should have been mixed, not had a cue now, exclaimed Sin. I declare I could hug her. But Betsy Kling not being available just then, she substituted Natty, and gave her a most emphatic squeeze. It was your shot about the torpedo that finished her, Sin, laughed Clem. It was effective, I flatter myself, Sin confessed. And that reminds me, you must not stay here now, Nat, you know, so I've seen Mrs. Simonson and you're going to live with me, for the present, glancing archly at her, until that book is written, for instance. It will be written now, I know, said Natty earnestly, her eyes shining. You remember what you once said, Sin. I see now you were right. Yes. Sin seriously, and thank heaven that it was love, and not disappointment that came. Love shall not come in vain, Natty said, as seriously. I will be worthy of it. The after years only could prove her words, but
but in Clem's face the belief in them was written as plainly as if those future possibilities were acknowledged results. We must have another feast to celebrate events, Sin then said gaily. You are happy. My romance is okay. Celeste is ecstatic. Quimby is joyful as circumstances permit the victim of a mistake to be. Joe and I are hopeful of future fame, and we certainly must have a feast. With plenty of dishes this time, laughed Clem, and there shall be no more crosses on the wire. And bless my heart, ejaculated Sin. Here you two are making love like ordinary mortals. At this Natty hastily withdrew the hand Clem had taken. Wimby and Celeste, for instance, this will never do. We must end this romance of dots and dashes as it commenced, to make it truly wired love. True enough, so we must, answered Clem merrily, and rising he went to the quay, with his eyes looking straight into Natty's, and wrote something that made her blush, and seized his hand in sly and unnecessary alarm, saying, Suppose Joe should be over in your room. He might be able to read it. Very well, replied Clem, as he laughed and kissed her, regardless of the spectator. I am quite content to make love like common mortals, Sin, and I hope, my darling Natty, that we are done now with all breaks and crosses, as we are with wired love. Henceforth ours shall be the pure, unalloyed article, genuine love. And Natty, half laughing, half serious, but wholly glad, took the key and wrote, OK. If anyone is anxious to know what Clem wrote when Natty stopped him, here it is. My little darling, my wife, 